When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Young Bucks, your Pittsburgh Pirates prospects podcast of choice. I'm joined today not by Corey Geiger, sorry to disappoint, but I'm joined by John Moses, Director of Broadcasts. Broadcasting and communications with the Altoona Curve, who helps Corey and I out on a weekly basis. So I figured in Corey's absence, he's camping. We might as well have John on. And I think he's going to be an admirable replacement um, for us this week. So, John, tell us how you are. You're, it's, we're recording this on a Monday, the, the permanent off day for minor league baseball. Obviously, that's a, that's a sigh of relief this time of year. I mean, I am definitely not as good as Corey Geiger, who is definitely camping right now. I Wow. Just cannot. I I almost struggle to envision Corey Geiger at a campsite, much less sleeping in a tent overnight for several nights in a row. So I'm very interested to see his return. Yes, I'm very excited to hear all about his camping with his family. Um, so so let's get straight to it. Andy Rodriguez gets called up from Greensboro um, and starts off very. He started off very very hot. Obviously. This, uh, the curve were on the road last week, so we haven't gotten to see that get gotten to see him in Altoona yet. But what's the what what's the early look for him look like? Like what's what have you seen from him so far? It's an exciting player, man. Um, you know, switch hitter. Um, you know, I was talking to Blake Butler, one of our coaches, um, before he took the field for the first time, and you know, just from the way Blake was talking about him, it was clear how much um, the organization thinks highly of him. Um, you know, he described a almost flawless swing from both sides of the plate, which sort of caught my attention that, you know, normally a guy that young, I mean, Andy's only 22, um, doesn't have, you know, might still have some things he has to work through mechanically in terms of his swing. Um, but from what Blake was talking about, and then from what we observed for, um, you know, five games last week in Binghamton, um, it's a really, he's a really exciting player. Um, I think he, I think he does a really nice job blocking the baseball. Um, you know, he had, you know, he caught Priester, I want to say on Thursday. Um, and, you know, Quinn had a couple of breaking balls that he sort of spiked in front of home plate. Um, and those are always sort of an indicator for me, like how a catcher handles those. And ND was all over it, you know, kept those in front, um, you know, didn't let him trickle away one side or the other. Um, you know, he certainly looks like a guy who's going to hit for average and for power. 
Um, you know, the home run he hit on Sunday was probably 25 or 30 feet above the right field foul pole. He was able just to keep it inside the line. So, you know, sort of a really high, uh, majestic drive down the right field line. Um, so it's a pretty exciting profile. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing, seeing more of him, man. Now he's not going to catch every day and that right. Is that correct? I mean, it remains to be seen. Um, you know, we saw Sable catch the first day and NDDH'd, and I would assume that there's going to be probably about an even split between those guys, or maybe it's four days for ND and two for Blake. Um, I don't really know. And, you know, look, the catching thing's going to get a little more complicated when Henry Davis comes back. I don't know how you find three guys to play every day behind the plate because all three of them need to play behind the plate. So, um, that'll be an interesting, uh, that'll be an interesting conversation for the coaching staff to have. And, um, you know, I wonder, uh, I wonder if all three of those guys end up on the active roster together. We'll see, um, you know, once, uh, once Henry's ready to come back off the injured list. Well, that's the thing with, with Andy Rodriguez is he's, he's a versatile player in the field. He's played a multitude of different positions in both Bradenton and Greensboro. So there, there are a lot of options for the curve coaching staff to, to come up with and, and put, you know, put that, put that best lineup on the field. Is that correct? For sure. Um, you know, but I think, you know, if the question is, what is this guy going to do in the big leagues? What are we developing him for? Um, then, you know, I think it's the same, it's the same answer for all three guys that we're talking about. Rodriguez, Davis and Sable is that you have to catch them on a regular basis because with what those guys can do with the bat, um, if they're able to develop into average defensive catchers, then you're talking about a highly valuable player. Um, and you want to put each of those three guys in a position where they can get better every day. Right. And that's the difficult part of this part of the year, because you've got call-ups, you've got all kinds of different things uh, and all pieces and parts coming back and, and going. And, and it's hard to get guys like that significant playing time or, or constant playing time, which is ultimately, you know, how you get better. Right. You, you're not going to get any better if you're sitting on the bench. Obviously, you go through BP, you go through your your infield outfield. But but to really get better, you've got to be on the field and in game situations. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, this is not the first time that Altina's coaching staff has had to sort of manage multiple guys for only a certain number of spots. Remember opening the out in the outfield this year with Lolo Sanchez and Matt Frazier and Connor Scott and Jack Sawinski together on the opening day roster. Um you know, and still Blake Sable obviously was here and he was catching and DHing, you know, where you sort of had four guys for three spots. Um, you know, the coaching staff, I think, did a pretty admirable job the first couple of weeks of the season of making sure those guys got the proper number of reps each day. And then, you know, obviously Sawinski ended up spending like three and a half months in the big leagues. <laughs> so that sort of solved that uh, that log jam with us. Um, but uh yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. And, you know, I'm sure we'll garner a lot of conversation coming up here in the next couple of weeks for, uh, for Pirates player development folks. Before we get into the second segment, because uh, we're going to be talking about the returns of a bunch of different players, how difficult is it to manage a roster like that? Because you've got numerous parts and pieces going kind of all over the place. I mean, at, at certain points, you know, you have Sawinski that gets caught up, stays up. Right. And not that many people expected that. And maybe they did. Uh, then you have a guy like Piguero gets sent up and sent back down and you've got different, different players going here, different players going there. How hard is that is it to manage for the, for the coaching staff or the curve? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, you know, 
that's got to be something that they're thinking about. I think if I were in their shoes, that would be one of the first things that goes through my mind each day when uh, when the lineup is being made. You know, it's like, okay, this is the group we, you know, this is the group of 27 or 28 for today. We know this for sure. Um, And, you know, if something's going to happen in the future, then we'll deal with it then. Um, But, you know, I think it's probably done through a lot of conversation. Um, You know, I know our coaching staff does sort of a a lengthy meeting after games each day to to unpack every element of the day from, uh, you know, each staff member, uh, and that includes everybody, athletic trainer, uh, strength coach, dietitian, everybody that's involved, um, you know, where they sort of unpack the day and they, and they talk through, um, you know, anything that they saw that, you know, maybe they want to address tomorrow or, or in another place or with another meeting. Um, you know, I, I, that's one thing I really enjoy about this coaching staff that I've had to work with here in Altoona is that they seem really connected with each other. And a lot of it comes from, I think some of those post-game meetings where, um, you know, they're fleshing out all of these different scenarios and, and they're constantly, you know, working to be in the same lockstep with each other. No. And I think that's, that's hugely important, especially when, especially this year, it seems that there have just been so many different transactions and roster moves. It seems like we're getting something different every day because this is not the same. And Corey and I have mentioned this countless times. This is not the same roster that was expected to be in Altoona. And I think that's something that you have to take into account too, because so many things have changed both good, bad, and indifferent. And here we are. Yeah. Um, you know, this has been, um, a pretty interesting journey for this group. Um, Obviously, the Tucapita Marcano and Sawinski uh, promotions in in April, you know, coming on short notice when we're going to Akron, um, you know, what what feels like a laundry list of injuries over the course of the season. Um, you know, I would I would understand if there was an element of frustration amongst people, and you know, I I've certainly felt an element of frustration over the course of the year where it's like I would love to see all these guys on the field together at the same time, man. Like we're talking about like an incredible group of talented players in Altoona. And, you know, we never really sort of got to see that pardon the star Wars reference, like a, like a fully operational death star lineup of, you know, Gorski Sanchez Frazier together in the outfield with Triolo Piguero, Gonzalez Shackelford and Sable the DH and Henry Davis behind the plate and Quinn Priester on the mound, right? Like we haven't seen sort of the best nine, 10 man group um, that I think, I think we were all expecting to see on a regular basis this year. Right. So we're going to talk about some of those guys that were supposed to be mainstays in the curve lineup here. When we get to the second segment of the young bucks podcast on the DK Pittsburgh sports podcasting network. Welcome back to the second segment of the Young Bucks podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. I'm Jared Perrin. I'm alongside John Moses, Director of Broadcasting and Communications for the Altoona Curve. He is your play-by-play guy uh, during these games. So he's he's got a front row seat. Well, maybe not front row. It's pretty, pretty high up there, depending on the stadium. But Henry Davis has taken swings, according to his Instagram. Nick Gonzalez is back. The curve are getting back to this. You mentioned this in the first segment. This fully operational Death Star, 
And they've got some, some big hitters that are already there too. So first, how has Nick Gonzalez looked since returning from uh, the IL? Yeah, I think, you know, his first two games were, um, you know, a little bit looked like a guy who hadn't played in like three months. Um, you know, he had good at bats. He hit the ball hard a couple times. Um, and he looked, he looked great defensively. He made a couple of nice plays going up the middle. Um, I think in the first game back, whatever that was Friday or Saturday. Um, yeah, I, I'm very excited to see Nick at his best because the last two, three weeks before he went on the injured list in May, um, it seemed like he had figured some things out and was starting to hit the ball with more authority. And, um, you know, it felt like he was really close to breaking out. And I think the numbers sort of indicate that, right. He was hitting probably right around 190 or 200 at the end of April and was up to 250 ish by the time he hit the injured list at the end of May. Um, you know, so things, things had started to sort of, uh, hit the ground for him and, Look, he's an exciting player, man. I just want to see more of him. Um, you know, I'm I'm disappointed that we missed out on what that ended up being two and a half months without Gonzalez. So, um, you know, I'm just looking forward to the next six weeks with him here. This uh, this should be fun to see him at his best. Well, and I think this is going to solidify the curve up the middle uh, for the uh, what seems like the remainder of the season because now you're going to get Pagaro at short and Gonzalez at second. Now, of course, there are going to be rest days and, and things in there, but now you get that double play tandem that has a lot of chemistry on the field and, and all over the place together. I mean, you see them on Instagram, um, you know, in the locker rooms together and, and stuff like that. So that chemistry means something and it is valuable on the field. 100%. And I will say that I think that was... Was it when I think it was Wednesday when they first arrived with us when we were in Binghamton and then, you know, they just sort of went through the work down Thursday and they got activated Friday. Um, it felt like the vibes changed. Um, you know, obviously the curve hadn't been playing well coming into that series last week at Binghamton and then they win six nothing on Tuesday night. And then Nick and Lolo arrived together uh, at the same car service right before the game on Wednesday. Um and just getting on the bus on Thursday, you know, there was just there was just more energy around the team. Um, you know, I think I think those two guys in particular are uh, very well liked by their teammates. And, you know, they have, you know, some pretty in-depth relationships with members of the coaching staff, because obviously it's a lot of the same coaches they had last year in Greensboro. Um, it just there were just a lot more smiles going on. You know, it didn't feel like we were around a team that had lost 12 or 15 coming out of the all-star break. And by the time the week wrapped up in Binghamton, um, you know, it sort of felt like the end of May when the team was turning the corner and uh, getting ready to, to do some damage for the end of the first half. How important is it for guys like Gonzalez and Lolo Sanchez to come back and have an immediate impact, not just on the field, but off the field for a team because it's early August, right? Almost middle of August. I guess we could say it's the middle of August. This is the 15th. Uh, every day kind of runs together for me at this point in the season. But these are the dog days of the summer. How important is it to finally get that life, that rejuvenation back in the clubhouse, you know, for this final home stretch? Oh, uh, that's huge. I mean, I would imagine it it's what it feels like when a contending major league team makes a trade at the deadline and uh, and such talent arrives where it sort of energizes everybody um around the club and um that's that's just huge it's funny at the beginning of the series i was talking to connor scott we we chatted for a few minutes for a pregame show interview um and he was just like yeah like you know we're in the dog days here like you got to find a way to flush bad days and flush good days exactly the same way so that you can come back with 
good high quality energy the next day and, and attack with your best stuff. Um, and, you know, I think it's, I think it's sort of hard to do that in general. You know, these guys have been going every day for, this is month five for them. Um, so I think, you know, getting some kind of external energy boost was, uh, was pretty significant. Um, and who knows, maybe it'll uh, turn into a significant run for the team. It'd be pretty cool. Yeah, and it's not. They're still within striking distance. They're seven and a half games back of Erie here with the, with about six weeks left to play. So they're still within striking distance. All it takes is a really good series uh, for the most part because they're playing the same team six games in a row. So something sure. has to give there. So do you think that they can make a run here? Absolutely, and I only say that because the three teams that are in front of Altoona, Bowie, Erie, and Akron all have. You know, we still play them for a full week each. Um, you know, so you have a chance to sort of climb the mountain, if you will, by climbing over the teams that are in front of you. Um, you know, Harrisburg is going to play this week. Um, they're a team that's sort of at the bottom of the standings, but they're better, right? Like they just got to, they're going to get a couple of prospects, I would imagine from the Juan Soto deal. Um, and then, you know, we go to Bowie next week where there's a pretty sour taste in the team's mouth from that experience there at the end of July where we lost five out of six in the first three days of the series. Um, you know, Bowie was, Bowie scored something like 11, 12, 13 runs in a row in the first three games of the series. Um, so I think there will be a little bit of a revenge element when we go back to Bowie. Um, and then, you know, after that, you still have a series with Akron at home and then you go to Erie. Um, so you have a chance. Um, and then you finish the year with Reading. I mean, I think that's the other factor here, right? Like the two teams, that Altoona plays um, that aren't in front of them in the playoffs are two teams that are at the bottom of the overall standings, Harrisburg and Reading. Um, so I think this is, I think there's a pretty good chance actually, especially now that the starting pitchings uh, through a little bit letter through a little bit better last week in Binghamton. Um, you know, if they can, if they can put together another week like that on the mound, um, this is going to be a tough group to beat. And that group's about to get a little bit stronger with the return of Henry Davis. Obviously, still, I think, a, a little bit away from, from rejoining the team, finally hitting. But do you expect him to, to be with the team the, the last few weeks of the season? Yeah, I think that's the hope. Um, you know, I, it's, it's unfortunate that Henry's wrist has uh, sort of been how it has been this year um, because it really felt like he was just starting to turn the corner when we were finishing that series in New Hampshire. Um, you know, he had three straight multi-hit games, a couple home runs and, you know, had a go ahead double on the last day of the series in the ninth inning. Um, you know, where it was one of the first times that I was saying to myself, Oh, this, this is Henry Davis. This is what it looks like. Okay, let's do it. Um, but you know, unfortunately the injury cropped back up for him, which, you know, it's just, it, it just sucks for him. I, I feel, I feel really bad for him that the way his season has gone has spent so much time on the IL, um, because, these are, these are reps, uh, that he needs. Um, you know, he's 22, going to be 23 next year. You know, this, this is the appropriate level for him to play at. And, you know, I'm sure it's been, uh, really eating away at him to not be around the guys. Right. And, and, you know, that's, that's hard. The rehab process is tough, not just physically, but it's a, it's a mental game too, because you can only control so much. And as somebody that wants to go out and perform every day to the best of your abilities, when you're physically limited, that really takes away and, and takes a toll and eats at you 
um, when you're trying to to get back. And obviously, he, you know, he came to Altoona hurt and then gets re-injured and, you know, is a ball magnet, of course. And, you know, when you go through that, that's got to be tough for a young player like that. Yeah. I mean, I have tried to put myself in his shoes where, you know, you get to, you get to double a for the first time and you'll, you'll get to play, you know, you play two games and then, you know, then you have to go on the IL and, um, and then you come back and you play a handful of games and you have some success, but not a ton. And you go back on the injured list. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think this is a really good opportunity for mental growth for any player, right? Like when you're going through this sort of long-term or what feels like a long-term rehab process, um, you know, I think that that's something that every player experiences at some point in their career. And, you know, I think there is actually a lot of growth and, you know, positive elements that Nick and that Henry and somebody like Matt Gorski can probably learn about, um, you know, sort of how to treat time when you're away from the team doing rehab. Um, you know, I just think it's a lesson that will only serve them well down the road because, you know, this is the nature of baseball, right? Like your body <laughs> isn't always going to agree with you. Sometimes it's going to betray you. Right. And I think that's, the, that's, it's very hard to understand when you're 20, 22, 24 years old, right? It, it, you're playing every day, you're playing a hundred and some odd games and it, there's just a grind. Like the grind is real and it, it's just tough to go out there and perform every day. Now, obviously, you know, I think one of the streaks, one of the records all time that I don't think is ever going to get sniffed again is Kyle Ripken's um, consecutive game streak. And the reason why is because now everybody monitors that you're not going to get player plays, um, players that play that many times in a row, that many games in a row, you'd have to have a special, special type of player and a special type of organization that would even remotely consider that you, everything is tracked from mechanics, from movements, every movement they make, it seems like that's tracked. And is that type of micro management good for the team moving forward or and good for these organizations, or is there value still in just getting out there and playing the game? Yeah, I, it's an interesting thought. Um, you know, I would say that when your body is tired, that you're more likely to get hurt. I think that's where sort of the basis of some of the, um, elements around giving guys rest days comes from, um, that when, you know, your muscles are tired, that they don't fire in the same way and you're at risk to tear a tendon in an elbow or in a knee or in an ankle, um, and, you know, you're less likely to do that when you garner more rest. Um, I mean, I think you're right on the money that we're never going to see somebody's play 6,000 consecutive games or whatever the number was, uh, whatever the final number. I think it was, what was it, 6131 was the final number for Cal? I think that's what it was. I think that's, yeah, that's, I think that's very well could be it. But yeah, I, I don't mean, think they're going to get close insanity, to 130. Yeah, like that is insanity to consider, right? Like that's. <laughs> it's like 15 what was it 15 straight years like uh, i just i can't even fathom that doing that do, playing every single day for 162 games times 15 years or 12 years whatever it ended up being um that is unbelievable to me like i still can't believe that i watched that ceremony when i was a kid when he broke the record um, you know, I still can't believe that that streak actually happened. Um, you know, just 
with all the freak stuff that happens in baseball, hit by pitches, take out slides, you know, you, you turn an ankle, um, you know, trying to field a ball, trying to field an awkwardly hit ball in the outfield or something like that. Like there's so many random little freak things that happen all the time in baseball and for him to not miss a single game. I, I still don't know how that happened. <laughs> yeah. And, and before we get into the third and final segment with, with John here, you know, 2131 was Gary's record or I'm sorry, was the, what was he played in the record breaking um, 2131 games and then he ended with, and not only, it didn't stop there. I ended with 2,632 consecutive games. That is, to me, a record that isn't going to be sniffed. Uh, and, and you mentioned being kids for that, right? And and it's and that's back when, you know, guys played 162 games a year, and that was the norm. Now, if you have a player like that, they're they're very much an outlier um, for, for good, bad, or in different reasons. But now there's so much money involved in the game that it's, it's very difficult to, to put all that money into a player and then have them spend a multitude of time on the IL or, or not able to play. Right. I mean, I, I, I completely understand, you know, especially now that we have learned so much more about how bodies work and, you know, that, um, you know, how athletic trainers can, give you more concise information about injuries and recovery. And, um, you know, it's, it's great that we have embraced so much more science when it comes to this stuff. Right. So we're going to embrace uh, heading into this break and coming back for the third and final segment here on the Young Bucks podcast at the EK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the Young Bucks podcast. We always thank John Moses for joining us. He's a a big friend of the show. I'm sure he listens to Corey and I all the time, uh, especially on long road trips. Uh, And even if he doesn't, that's a shame for him because obviously we have a lot of fun on this podcast. So let's let's take a look at the standings, right? We talked about the curve possibly making a run. But what's unique in the Eastern League is that they have a set of first half winners and a set of second half winners. And when you look at the first half winners, you look at, at, the, at the standings a little differently because it's a little it, it's bizarre to me because you look at the Richmond Flying Squirrels. They won the first half and they are in the basement of not just the division, but the league now in the second half. So that is kind of what's crazy about the, this setup as far as the schedule goes. Yeah. Um, you know, I think split schedules happened for a long time in the minors, though. It's like generally new to me and to the Eastern League. Um, you know, the Eastern league did it for the first time in 2019. Um, and then we didn't do it last year. You know, they just did two best overall records for the year, play a playoff series. Um, yeah, it is a little strange. Um, but it also gives teams that were good in the first half of the year before promotions, which in Richmond's case, you know, obviously has happened. Um, it, it, it gives teams a chance to have some accomplishment for the year um, in that, you know, Richmond obviously played great in the first half of the season. Akron did too. You know, those, those groups were definitely worthy of playoff 
berths. Um, now, of course, the season's going to be, you know, the teams are different. You know, Akron's already lost George Valera. He's gone to AAA. Um, they've lost several pitchers in the second half. Xavier Curry, who made his big league debut tonight, I think. Hunter Gaddis has gone uh, up to AAA and to the big leagues already. Logan Allen. Um, you know, the makeup of the teams are generally far different. Like, there's a significant amount of changes to every minor league roster um, around the halfway point of the season. That's usually when organizations feel comfortable making some decisions on players about whether they're going to promote or demote or, you know, change their role, whatever. Um, you know, once you've got sort of 60 to 70 games, a lot of organizations feel like they can make choices. So it's uh, it's a little strange how the standings sort of shake out every year, but it's because the general makeup of every team changes significantly in July and August. Right. I think, you know, for the curve's sake, like I said, like we mentioned before, they're seven and a half games back entering play on Tuesday and they're getting stronger and stronger, uh, what seems like by the day. So that obviously bodes well for them. But, you know, a lot, of, a lot of things can happen. And obviously with the team getting stronger, with Henry Davis possibly coming back, you know, Nick Gonzalez, Lula Sanchez, you know, they also could lose some guys. And, and are there any guys that you can think of off the top of your head that, that might be in line for a promotion that maybe are under the radar or that you're really not thinking of right now? Um, you know, guys that have been with us all year that have generally played well all season, I think, include Blake Sable, JC Flowers, Tanaj Thomas. Um, you know, I don't think it's that crazy if, say, a Kyle Nicholas rips off four or five straight pretty good starts that they just move him up. Um, yeah, there. I mean, Andres Alvarez, I think, is another guy that could probably uh that m- might move i don't know um you know, obviously jared triolo's been really has, has sort of gotten better as the year has gone on um so i think those are sort of the names that come to mind for me first maybe you know i think a colin selby um is another guy that could sort of find his way to triple a at some point before the end of the year um so we'll see um you know i i my observation is that the Pirates like to keep groups of players together like they did last year with the Castro, Martin, Smith and Jigba, Cal Mitchell, Rowanzi Contreras, Beto, right? Like all those guys that were with the group last year. Um, you know, they only promoted guys when it was exceedingly obvious that they needed to go up to AAA or to the big leagues. Um, and that's my, and that's my general sense of what they'll do with this group and that they have with groups, but like, you know, players dictate decisions in the long run, right? I don't think anyone would have said uh, at the beginning of the season that Andy Rodriguez, by August 15th, would have played five games in Altoona. And that was likely going to be here for the end of the year. Um, you know, so I think, you know, players sort of prove it to you as uh, as the year goes on. Right. And I think, you know, obviously val- like there's value in performances, right? And I think that's the, that's the important thing here to realize because Rodriguez played his way up to the, up to his, up to this level. And obviously Henry Davis, I think it, it could be a different situation if Henry Davis stays healthy. Uh, he could still be very well in Greensboro. Now, obviously that's just pure speculation, but at the same time, it, when you're busting down the door, it's hard to say no. And I think, you know, Rodriguez deserved a promotion. He got the promotion and now, you know, I, you know, you look at the schedule and, and he's going to be a significant factor for the curve um, 
moving forward for the next six weeks. And I think that's, you know, there's value in that. And I think that there might be a couple more guys that, that have that opportunity. I know last year, the, the mass promotion at the end of the season, because the, the seasons uh, were kind of staggered, whereas, you know, AAA mirrors uh, the major league schedule, AA obviously doesn't. So you saw an, that entire group up for the last bit of the season. And there's value in that because you, again, the, the best way to evaluate is game situation. Absolutely. Um, and while we're talking here, I'm going to look to see if Indy goes much longer than we do this year. Um, last year, you know, they added on those 10 games at the end of the season, um, which, you know, obviously turned out to be a good player development opportunity, right? Like a lot of, a lot of the guys from Altoona, but also a lot of the guys from this group that were finishing the year in Greensboro last year um, got extra games at the end of the season. Um, and yeah, um, Indy goes for an extra six, 10 days. It looks like, yeah. So there's, you know, about 10 more games. Indy's final scheduled game looks like is the 28th of September. Um, so, you know, there could be the same kind of thing where if Altoona doesn't make the playoffs this year, that, uh, there's a handful of guys that end up in Indianapolis to finish the year. Yeah. I th- obviously, you know, it, it's very weird because Corey and I talk about this all the time we see the record and we see that it might not be as successful as, as some might think it should be or, or could be or whatever, but there's so much more that meets the eye when it comes to records and performances and just the way that the games play out and, and performances play out uh, for, for minor league players, because yeah, at the major league level, you know, outside of Pittsburgh, typically things are valued in wins, but here, you know, it, there's, it just goes a lot deeper than, than putting wins in the win column. I'm not saying that wins aren't important because they are, but there's just a lot more value in some of the other things that people aren't recognizing maybe uh, throughout the course of the season. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Kyron Madison and I talked about this um, definitely earlier in the year about how when you get to this level at AA that the talent level is actually closer. So it becomes much more about what's going on between the ears. You know, are you, how do you think along with situations in games? How quickly are you thinking on your feet? Um, and that mental element he, he observes is much more of a factor at this level and what sets players apart from each other. Um, so, you know, I think the best way to develop your mental acuity and how you think during a game and how you think along with the game or with a pitcher in an at-bat, um, that happens through repetition. And doing it against guys that are equal or above your talent level, um, which I think a lot of players are, are sort of faced with at this level. So, um, you know, that's why the repetitions at this level I observe as being very important. Right. And that's why I'm so disappointed that Nick Gonzalez has missed so much time this year. Henry Davis missed so much time this year. Matt Gorski's missed such important time this year. You know, these are these are highly important development reps for all these guys. Um, you just you just can't replace the experience of playing at this level. No, and I think that's a, that's a very good way to look at it. So, John, for those of our listeners that want to catch a curve game and can't get out to Altoona, where can they find the broadcasts uh, for curve games and where can they listen to your voice? Tell the story of the game. Well, yeah, um, you can just log on to our website, AltoonaCurve.com. Um, whenever a game's going on, usually on the top of the page, uh, there's a listen live link. Highly, highly encourage you to um, listen for free through that or, you know, pay for minor league baseball TV. There's a promo code. If you use the word curve as your promotional code, uh, you'll get you get a few dollars off. 
Um, and frankly, if you like to watch minor league baseball, you should just buy the minor league package. It's really not. I think it's like 50 bucks for the whole year if you buy it in April. Um, and you get 5,000 games. You get every team across the country. You get them on demand. Um, so, the you know, I would say definitely watch the minor league streams. You know, sometimes the camera angles are what they are. And, you know, it, it's it's that kind of thing. But it's it's fun. I mean, we we tell the whole stories of games and I think um, it'll it's it's a lot of fun. And I'm sure there are people that uh, listen to you and Corey together on this podcast that have uh, checked in on us. Um, and if you're listening, uh, feel free to let us know. Drop me and press an email during games or, you know, if you happen to have a thought about a topic that we're talking about, because sometimes we get off topic about how Preston's, you know, like 19 years old. Um, and, you know, if you have a thought about that kind of stuff, you want to interact in the conversation, come find us. Now he's mentioning Preston Shoemaker, his play-by-play or his color guy on, on the air. Um, he is a, a young pup just about to graduate from college. <laughs> so obviously as the youngest person in the press box by a few years, he obviously gets a, a not a gentle ribbing, but but quite a significant ribbing um, outside of some of the other people in their Alton Kerr press box, because for the most part, we've been there for, longer than John has been around. So he inherited quite a press box in Altoona uh, and it's got a name throughout the Eastern league as far as one of the, one of the more um, lively or entertaining press boxes in, in all of minor league baseball. Oh yeah, that's real. Um, you know, Preston had never seen the movie Top Gun, which I thought was a little bit of a red flag um, when we had a Top Gun night last year. Um, but we are, we are doing our best to educate holidays, holidaysburg's holidaysburg's own Preston Shoemaker. By the way, Hollisburg Little League, man. That's awesome. That's right. Yes. For those that listening, the local uh, local Little League team, Hollidaysburg, uh, will be playing in Williamsport in the Little League World Series. Uh, they're, they're the Mid-Atlantic region champs, so shout out to those guys. Uh, and and we wish them the best of luck. So we're going to sign off with that. So best of luck to the Hollidaysburg uh, Little League team. I think their first game is Thursday at 7. Tune into ESPN and watch those guys. Support those kids because this is going to be uh, one of the most, I think, you know, life-changing experiences that they're going to experience in their short lives. So best of luck to those guys. And we thank John Moses for joining us on the Young Bucks podcast and DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. We'll catch you again next week. Work forward, we'll be back. And maybe we'll have some campfire stories uh, for this podcast. So thank you as always for listening. We'll catch you again next week. Wow.